What if a black girl knew? You are currently listening to WIABGK, the What If a Black Girl New podcast. I have a very special guest today, Ayishad Akambi. Have you ever um, experienced racism? Yes, I would say I've experienced racism. I grew up in Southampton, Mm. which is not very um, diverse, to say the least. Um, And the people of colour that we do have there tend to be mixed race and mixed race Caribbean for the most part. But it's still predominantly a very white town. Um, So when I was growing up there, in school, people, or one boy in specific, made fun of my lips all the time. Some people would make fun of my hair. They called it troll hair because like the dolls, you could put it in any position and it would sort of stay there. So they thought my hair was like a troll. I also had another black girl actually in my school. We were the only two in our my whole year. And she uh, was Jamaican and she would join in with some of the white kids and laugh at me to sort of distance herself from the type of black that I was. As far as she was concerned, she was the cool black because she was Jamaican. She didn't come from the place where flies were on people's faces and people were emaciated and things like that. So she would join in and call me an African booty scratcher or whatever the terminology was then. to be racist uh, to someone. Uh, But besides that, I went to Kingston University. And when I was in Kingston, um, this was quite uh, an infamous case, if you like. But there was a car that used to drive around and shout out nigger at any black person that they would see. Um, And that happened to me more than five times. Ayesha Dakambi is a fashion stylist, writer, cultural commentator and artist based in London, UK. Ayesha had made her entry into the fashion scene in 2010 and has amassed a growing and following ever that, since. You know, I work as a fashion stylist. I mainly work for celebrities. And it was through being a fashion stylist that I even realised that racism was as alive and prominent as it is today. Although I had those early experiences, I never knew that racism was so alive and prominent until I became a fashion stylist, until I started having to shop in places like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Prada, Ralph Lauren, Liberty, Selfridges, Harrods, and I would see the way that people would interact with me uh, or not interact with me because they assumed that I wouldn't afford to be able to buy anything. Or I would see the way that the security guards would almost be following me around or almost trying to, to rush me out you know, to make way for the, the clients that can buy things. Um, and apart from that, I had uh, I had a office at the time in Brixton. And at this point, me and my assistant and also best friend at the time, um, Naaman, we would realize that if we didn't have Selfridges bags, no one wanted to take us to Brixton, you know. And this wow. was only like six, seven years ago. Wow. No one would want to take us to Brixton. And when we didn't have Selfridges bags and the car did stop for us, we would say Brixton and often they would drive off. Wouldn't say anything, they would just drive off. And that was maybe 2011, 2012. And that was when I became really interested in in racism and became quite passionate um, and a bit of an outspoken person around the issue. Racism can seem like quite a daunting topic to discuss, but me and Ayesha have a very clear conversation about what race means to her and her ways of overcoming some not-so-smart racist people. I remember when I was in Paris with some friends, and if any of those friends are watching, they know exactly what we're talking about. (laughs) But I was in Paris with some friends last year, and we were in a restaurant, uh, and there were two white women sitting in the corner. We were celebrating a friend's birthday. And so maybe there was about 11 to 12 of us. So, of course, just conversation meant that our table wasn't quiet. And the two women in the back, one of them said, would you just be quiet there? You're in France now. 
the table erupted and they started abusing her, shouting at her, um, calling her a racist and all of these things that she definitely is. But I wanted to know, what does she mean by that? I wanted her to answer it. What do you mean by that? Because that's not what, none of us at the table did that. No one asked her, what does that mean? But I really wanted to know, what does she mean by that? Because she might have then, if we'd have been silent and just asked her the direct question, what does that mean? She might have said, well, you know, you're not, uh, you're not in, you know, we would have made her stumble because I understand what you mean. Do you understand what you mean? I wanted her to say it out loud because we could ask her, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you're in Paris now and Paris is reserved um, compared to where? Where do you think that we're from? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, you know, you know, what, what, you know, do you think it's Africa? Do you think it's Jamaica? Do you think it's London? Because some people would say that British, British people are very reserved as well. So you're not talking about Britain. What do you mean? Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Until I would have never let it go. You could have kept, you <laughs> yeah. keep on asking, keep, keep, asking, keep asking. going. What do you mean? Oh, well, you're behaving like you're in Africa. Yeah. And what does an African behave like? Racism could be such a difficult topic to tackle. However, me and Ayishad have very candid conversations about racism and what surrounds the thinking and mentality behind it. I also speak to Ayishad about her compassion and how she came to have it. I think my compassion comes from, you know, uh, a, uh, a deeper understanding of myself, uh, which is something that is not necessarily easy, but it's something I see as a priority to each day is to have a deeper understanding and relationship with myself. And so when I'm honest about some of the prejudices that I've had, some of the racisms even that I've held onto as a young person and the stereotypes that I assumed about people and projected onto people, yeah. I start to understand how racism is formed. And that doesn't mean that someone could come in my face and start hurling racial abuse at me and I'm just gonna be like, oh, well, Jesus loves you anyway. That's <laughs> yeah. definitely not what's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, but what, what happens maybe particularly is I know what questions to ask now. I know what questions to ask him to embarrass him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because for me uh, to, to dislike someone based on the color of their skin, I just see it as stupid. For the most part, yeah. take away everything else. It means you're really dumb, mm -hmm. you know, really, because it's like, oh, I don't like you because, you know, you're wearing yellow shoes. It's just really stupid. Yeah, it's um, a lack of intelligence. Right, it's a real lack of intelligence. And so I just bring it to that. Mm -hmm. Let's take away all the politics. It's just a real lack of intelligence that you're proud mm -hmm. to boast of. And generally, when you can break things down to people in a way that like that, there's a, a shame that they get themselves. Um, so I don't generally have to resort to being too angry back or to be, or to hurling slurs back myself. I just try to break down the behavior for them so they can see what they're doing, you know? And it's the same approach that I would take with homophobia, you know? It, for me, anyone that loud and proud about a hatred is because of the suppressed feelings that you have. You know what I mean? Because hatred takes a lot of time and energy. And so for you to have this outward hatred for people that do not affect your lives, I would say you're more scared of yourself than you are of them. Um, and so with racism for me, from everything that I've thought about and read about, it really to me seems to come down to something as basic as a jealousy and a fear. And I think we all human beings can have jealousy and fear about a lot of things and i understand that that doesn't mean i condone it but i understand it so my response to it is different what if a black girl knew that everything you think that makes you strange 
is going to be your selling point. What if a black girl knew Aisha Akambi? While maintaining a sense of individuality at the forefront of her work, she has also maintained cultural awareness while keeping up with the current trends. She has generated the attention of many artists, celebrities and TV personalities, as well as a number of private clients. What do you think about right and wrong? Right and wrong. I think those are other ways that I I try not to think as well. I think of action and consequences. I think everything has consequences um, and actions elicit certain responses. Um, Right or wrong, I guess like many things are uh, constructions that we've made societally. Um, Because killing, let's say, objectively, we all believe that murder is wrong. But then in some instances... Some people might say it's justified if you've witnessed your mother be gunned down by someone and they're still in your house. Someone might say you murdering that person was right, was the right thing to do, was self-defense to do. Or in capital punishment, you know, in the sense that, you know, people being being sent to the electric chair or the lethal injection. Clearly, there's a big section of Americans who believe that that is that murder is okay in that sense. So I'm right or wrong, a very... um, uh, subjective things. They're not very objective. Um, so again, I try not to think about right or wrong. I just try to think about why things are happening. Yeah. And um, going back to some of this thing that you said before, um, with regards to, um, you, like your stance on being above certain situations, what would you say to the certain uh, black women, for example, who would respond and say, you know, you're speaking from a place of privilege or you're speaking from a place of, you know, middle class, whatever, uh, as a black person, what would you say to that person who is, you know, consumed maybe with hurt and they don't know they are but they come towards you with regards to your stance on things um and just think that it's a privileged way of speaking what is your response to that i would say that a lot of my perception about things um comes from tragedy more than it comes from privilege um my brother was murdered in 2012 um to someone and he was murdered by someone who wasn't black necessarily but they were african you know, they were from Morocco. Um, and it's through that experience that I've learned to deal with things in the way that I have done. Um, because I was very upset and I was very angry and I outsourced a lot of my problems and issues to other people, whether that was the government, whether that was my parents, even whether that was religion, whether that was blackness, whether that was whiteness, you know, I've blamed it all (laughs) and loudly and proudly at times. Um, And I realized at one stage um, that I can't control what other people do. I can't control how other people think, but I can change my response to the way that other people think and the things that they do. The only thing that I can be responsible for is me. And so if it is, let's say a black man who is hell bent on the fact that black women are ugly, I can't change his mind, but what I can do is change my taste, you know? And so maybe I allow that thought in him to not be so inviting to me anymore. You know what I mean? And I learn to almost, rather than try to change who they are, I try to change what I'm, what I find appealing. You know what I mean? Luckily for the most part, I don't date men. (laughs) (laughs) However, if I did, I do understand why so many black women in particular take up 
the issue around beauty. Beauty isn't something I focus on very much in my um, thinking and speaking. Um, and be, yeah, it's not necessarily. And I realized recently, oh, that's because you don't date men. Mm. You know, if you did date men, yeah. then beauty would be high on your agenda. Yeah. Um, but now it's not really that much of importance to you. Yeah, it's not because what men find attractive means nothing to me. But if I was, if, the, if that was my, my crop to choose from, then I guess it would mean a lot more to me. But I'd like to believe, because I have dated men, and as far as my sexuality is concerned, I would always just call myself free. And so that, so I could still date a man, potentially. But I like to believe and hope that anybody who has um, ignorant perceptions of beauty or very packaged perceptions of beauty just wouldn't be appealing to me you know in the same way that maybe someone who only likes action films and i don't know i don't and country music only yeah <laughs> probably doesn't appeal to me yeah. you know just because it's a bit rigid mm-hmm. you know I, I can't really show some of my interests i can't really it's rigid to me yeah. so i just don't find that attractive but i don't have to cuss him out for only liking country music mm-hmm. you know i don't have to do that mm-hmm. you can stay in that you mm-hmm. can from cradle to grave that can be who you are but it doesn't have to be who i am mm-hmm. um and so i without directly saying it i think i um, I try to show myself and whoever I guess is watching that I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to remind black women of how much they're not wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to remind black women of how much we can be for ourselves. And it's much needed because even when it comes to um, like self-confidence, I wanted to talk to you a bit about that because you appear very self-confident for me, you know, that to people like to, to myself and I'm sure many other people look at you and go, that's a confident woman, right? And I wanted to know, like, what do you think are the fibres behind what makes you confident? Because Aisha's tweet of inward reflection has often caught the eye of many and has given her an increase in following. What do you think is the thing that makes you confident? For me, I think confidence has come from understanding that a lot of us who appear to have it together don't. Um, and once I, once that bubble was penetrated for me, once I kind of saw that we were all kind of winging it, we all didn't really know what was going on. We all are kind of riddled with anxiety. We all have bouts of severe depression and the rest of it. You know, I think we're all trying to escape a void that's within us. And once I realized that everybody is doing that in different ways, I why would I need to feel unconfident? Yeah. You know, why? <laughs> why on earth yeah. would I? And that doesn't mean that I don't have moments of self-doubt because I do. I have a lot of self-doubt about my writing still. Um, I have a lot of self-doubt about the way that I perceive things. You know, if I don't know anyone else who thinks it or feels it, I question if I'm right. I try to search for other people who've said it to validate my feeling. And if I can't find anyone who said it, then I often can think that I'm wrong. Yeah, um, and that is something I don't like within myself and that's something I try to overcome. Um, But as far as confidence goes, I think, well, I don't know, I think adulthood is just learning how to to be in public. I I think it's almost an illusion. And because I see it as an illusion um, and that we're all fighting a battle of our own and we all put on a mask each day to to hide that, um, I don't know, it just equals the playing field.
means that yeah i can i'm just as i'm just as licensed and legitimate as anybody else um i always say to myself inside i have the uh or at least the audacity of a white straight male <laughs> because why not yeah because why not you know and because of certain I don't know because of certain things that that identity doesn't have to take into consideration. Sometimes it means that yeah, it just means that they can, can move in the world sometimes without feeling like, Oh, what if this? And what if that? Because no one's ever told them that this is going to stop that, you know, like we have been told since birth, you know, that, you know, you're black. So you have to do this more than that person. So from inception, you know that your life is going to be hard, you know, whereas other people don't necessarily have that perception. And so I don't know, for me, I try to, that audacity that some of those people have, I try to have it too. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I've noticed about you, I, I, I feel like I almost feel that you have high regard for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is something that not everybody has, but especially black women, we need to have more of. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it's like people will see authenticity in you. And I feel like it's mostly because you really are after yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about the coming out process or you just coming into your freedom of being in your sexuality for Aisha coming out as lesbian or queer or sexually free as she likes to call it was not so straightforward she talks to me about her experience I think I've always known that I've been attracted to women I've always known that I've never not known that since I was a child, but I definitely had shame around that. I had this idea, even though I wasn't necessarily sure of the words of gay, lesbian, queer, I don't know if at seven or six, I knew what those words meant, but I knew that the the childish feelings that I had towards the girl that I sat next to in reception, mm-hmm. I knew that I shouldn't tell anyone about them. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know how I knew that, but I knew I wasn't supposed to say anything about that. And so it did give me a bit of shame when I was growing up, but I was able, because I was a child and you have so many other trivial things happening in your life to distract you, I didn't think about it very often. But any time that I would see someone who presented in a way that we might consider a stereotypical lesbian, Um, I noticed that I would stare at them a lot. I noticed that there was a fear around them. I noticed that I would be uncomfortable around those people um, to the point of potentially maybe even harboring some form of uh, strong disapproval. Um, And I remember being maybe 13 once and saying, I don't know, I had maybe a hard day at school, whatever that means. And I remember thinking about my hard day at school and my friends, things that were going wrong. And then it passed my mind and I was like, when I'm gay. And I remember saying that to myself, I was 13. Coming out as queer, lesbian or gay could be something that is quite difficult, especially in the black community. But But Aisha explains to me how her experience unfolds. Yes, Um, it was not a very straightforward experience, Um, but so interesting. Listen here. I had a relationship while I was still living in Southampton with a a, a girl in London. Um, And these times it was house phone calls. Yeah, I think we could still call each other on house phones. So I remember sometimes I didn't always have credit. So sometimes I would either go to the pay phone that was near around the corner from my house or I would speak to her on my house phone. You were putting in that work. Yeah, I really was putting in that work. Um, And I remember, so my mum 
thought this person was my friend. And so my mum would take me to their house on half term sometimes. And she knew her mum as well and didn't really understand why I had this random friend who was white who lived in London. Um, or she was mixed race, actually, but appeared white. Uh, my mum couldn't necessarily understand that, but she saw it's innocent and was probably happy to have the holidays to herself. Um, but me and this girl kept talking on the phone all the time. My mum couldn't understand that. Like, how are you getting back from spending a week with her and you're on the phone to her on the way back home? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Yes. And so she began to get really suspicious. Um, and so one day she bought a house phone, another house phone, and she put it in her room. And I remember I was talking to Zoe. That was her name. I hope you're listening, Zoe. Um, but I remember talking to Zoe and I was like, yo, Zoe. <laughs> My mom has a house phone in her room. And for some reason, I really think she's listening. Because you remember that? You yeah, could yeah, listen. yeah, you could listen. Yeah, Someone yeah. else is going, yeah. That's- exactly, right. And so I was like, I really think she's listening. And then Zoe was like, oh, don't be silly. Of course she's not. Like, oh, get over it. You're just so paranoid. And I was like, no, why would she have bought another house phone? I really think she is. And Zoe was trying to convince me to come to London and see her that weekend. Um... And, you know, she convinced me that my mum wasn't listening. I nervously um, trusted her. Um, And then she went into baby talk, you know, just sort of cute things that you do when you're in a relationship with someone. You have, everyone has like a baby voice that only gets exposed within their relationship. And so she must have been like, well, so when are you coming to see me? And I was like, oh, I'm going to come this Saturday. And my mum on the other line was like, no, you will not. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) She she came out of her room. I came out of mine. I tried to run out the house. She grabbed me. It was a showdown. It was a showdown. It really was a showdown. Um, And I probably shouldn't say everything that happened in that showdown for my mother's uh, privacy. Um, But she was not happy at all. Um, We were in the street at one point. She was trying to drag me back into the house. I was calling for help from passers-by. No one heard me. She dragged me back into the house. My mum is Muslim. I grew up in an Islamic faith. And she was crying and made me swear on the Quran that it would never happen again. I told her that it was a phase and that it was a joke and surprise. Um, She didn't believe me, but she did at least believe that I would never do it again. Um, And I was happy selling her that dream um knowing that i couldn't live up to that but i just wanted the drama of the day to subside um and yeah so that was kind of kind of my coming out story um that's at least when she first had an inkling about it or knew that i had been intimate with the woman um but i told her like i said it was never going to happen again it did happen again maybe two or three years later me and my brother the one who passed away sadly we were having an argument one time Oh, we were arguing about an ex-girlfriend that I had who was in the house maybe the day before me and this ex-girlfriend had had beef and I asked my brother to intercept and he did. He came in and was the big brother that I needed him to be. So the next day in true lesbian fashion, when she's at my house and everything is normal, (laughs) he didn't understand it. He really didn't understand why this person was in the house. And I was like, well, because we've made up, obviously, duh. Um, And he didn't get it. And he was like, well, no, she needs to get out of the house. And I went crazy. I was like, what do you mean she needs to get out of the house? And me and him started arguing and fighting. And we actually had a physical fight that um, transpired into my mom's bedroom. We messed 
messed the whole place up, threw perfume bottles around. Um, my mum had a lock on her door. He locked us in <laughs> to the fight. My ex was on the outside and everything was going crazy. It was a real showdown. Um, I ended up running out the house and leaving and I left my phone. Uh, so by the time I'd got to my ex's house, uh, my mom had gone through my phone, um, seen all of these text messages between me and my then girlfriend at the time. <laughs> she called me and she was like, Aisha, I know what you are. What you are? <laughs> what you are. I'll, I'll never, ever forget it. I wow. know what you are. Don't ever come back to this house um, and some more. Um, and that was that. So that was the time that she knew definitely. Uh, this is definitely it. This is real. I wasn't allowed to come back to the house for about three weeks. Um, she eventually did come and see me. Again, cried. I think, again, I, I wanted to pacify her. So I told her, yeah, I'll, I'll work on this. It doesn't have to be my life, you know. I won't act on this anymore. It's just dumb, young stuff. Um, of course, that never happened. I went to university, moved out of Southampton, was living by myself, had lots of relationships with women that I hid from my mum. And I don't know how we got to the point that we're in now where she's fully accepting of it to the point where I could talk to my mum about lesbian sex and she would give me advice, you know, and this is my Nigerian Muslim mother. <laughs> you know, I've had instances in my relationship now where things have gone wrong. Maybe I've done something wrong um, that my girlfriend can't reconcile. And she's called my mom, you know, she's called my mom and reported my bad behavior and told her whatever I've done that's hurt her. And my mom has given her advice. Um, and that's somewhere that I never, ever, ever, ever thought we would be. And I think my mom can very much see that I'm someone who tries to consider purpose in everything that I do. You know, I try not to be... Um, frivolous about the the choices that I make um, and I think she really respects that um, and I think through me being this way I think I've also probably been able to uncover some of my mother's own experiences with her own sexuality that haven't actually been that clear-cut uh, that I won't go into again for the purpose of that, her own that's privacy. That's often the case you know sometimes you dig a little deeper and you find some things. Right definitely um, and that's also how I started to have thoughts about homophobia in general and that's where I started thinking that maybe it isn't the fear of gay people but it's more of a fear of themselves you know and it's experiences through mine and my mum's relationships that have taught me that um I've, I've become um i've become more comfortable with my sexuality um because i don't necessarily always see my sexuality as just um a byproduct of biology sometimes i see it as an intellectual choice and that doesn't mean that women who identify as heterosexual a non-intellectual, but I'm saying it's my intellectual choice when I consider the way that many women are suppressed by men, suppressed by their desires or repressing themselves because they don't think they're enough for men. And just so many of the common ideas about women that come from the spheres of heterosexuality, opting out of that is something that has been massively beneficial to the way that I think, mm -hmm. to the way that I relate to people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, there are so many things to love about being queer. <laughs> Honestly, mm -hmm. there are so many things to love about not choosing what you've been forced to want. Mm 
you know um and i think once i started becoming more aware of lesbian and gay thinkers and writers from james baldwin uh audrey lord i honestly it set me free it really really set me free um and there is yeah for me there's a there's a real pride in in being on the queer spectrum of whatever kind because it's everything the world in many ways tells you not to be you know and it's something that is so natural to us and not only through and we can't only just see that in history in terms of whether it was the romans the greeks you know we can also see that in the animal kingdom you know what i mean it exists in so many parts of life um that completely legitimize it um that yeah i think anyone who has opted or has accepted this way of loving and living knowing that it makes so many people uncomfortable it, so many people still fail to comprehend what it is or why you're doing it i don't know i just see it as an act of bravery um that i'm i'm really happy to be a part of um what do you see in the future for for queer queerness? What do you see? Um, because it's it's definitely a journey. Yeah, yeah. So what do you see happening, or what would you like to see happen? I always think of like queer people of the X Men of sexuality, <laughs> in the sense of they are leading. You know, they are are leading um, uh, a relationship with being accepting of yourself and i would even say that you can see that in the in the trans community you can see that in people who are identifying um in the many different gender variations that we have now i think people are understanding that they are more than this thing that tv shows them or magazine shows them and 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 the rest of it um i think that we're going to be in a space where we'll one day look at people who are homophobic and be like oh my god can you believe that happened you know or i think we'll be in a space where you'll have less and less people who identify as completely heterosexual i think more people will find themselves on that spectrum and that doesn't mean to say that being heterosexual is wrong completely not not at all but i think you'll find people who may not be comfortable having a relationship with the same sex but are happy to be intimate with them and that doesn't for them change their sexuality you know i think we all start to see more fluidity with sexuality because for someone like me i don't necessarily think that being able to have sex with someone of the same sex means that you're gay. Mm. I don't actually see it that way mm. at all. I think that means that you might enjoy sex, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you don't necessarily mind about who it's with, yeah. but who you want to build a life with, children, a home, uh, a family economy, yeah. you know, that has potentially a lot more meaning than who you just have sex with, yeah. you know? And so within that, yeah, you can still be very heterosexual. Um, but I just don't think it will be, I don't think heterosexuality will be so rigid. Yeah. I think, I hope that men especially are able to experiment with more aspects of their femininity um, without feeling like it compromises on their masculinity or it compromises on their strength or makes them somehow inferior. Um, because then what are you saying about women? What do you think about the strength of feminism in this um, current day and age? I think the fact that feminism has had another resurgence has been really wonderful in ways um i think that many of us are undressing a lot of the, the inner patriarch that lives within us yeah. um, which i think should be the first step um of trying to unlearn is the patriarchy that lives in you 
Um, and I think a lot of us are in that sphere where we are questioning the way that young boys and young girls are raised. And I think that's a great thing. Um, I think it's been revolutionary in understanding things to do with consent, mm -hmm. sexual abuse. It's removed the stigma from sexual abuse and the shame, um, which is so, so, so necessary um, because that shame can color your entire life, your entire sex life and all of your interactions and relationships. I say that from experience. And so the fact that it is being spoken about in the way that it is, is, is revolutionary and probably maybe something I, um, I feel most warmed by out of the whole movement and men too the fact that men are finding voices to even address their own sexual abuse because sexual abuse is not only something that's committed by men you know um too many people especially sadly within the black community young boys losing their virginity to grown women and i'm so happy that that is getting the spotlight that it deserves too for me feminism isn't a dismissal of masculinity and it's not a dismissal of men it's um it's a mindset and it's a way, uh, an approach of doing things. You know, feminism needs to be in politics. Feminism needs to be in governments. Feminism needs to be in all places of um, high importance because it's about an approach, uh, a less masculine way of doing things and a more feminine approach. And it's very hard to define what femininity is. And I won't necessarily attempt to, because I think to define it is to limit it. But maybe we can see in the fact that women haven't started a mass war against men. <laughs> you know, they haven't tried to section themselves off in a society and completely disavow with men. They haven't done that. So there's clearly a yeah. Well, in this society, they have. Well, at least here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. I have heard about that. I have heard about that. You're right. Well, at least in this part of the world that we haven't started wars with men. We aren't looking for revenge. We're looking for equality, and that to me would suggest there is a patience. Men have often been socialized to consider careers uh, and opportunities more than they have family, love and stuff like that. I think we could both take from each other. I, and, and not just in terms of, I'm not saying that masculinity is all about careers, but let's say um, the part about masculinity that I find um, quite beautiful sometimes is there is um, a simplicity to it in many ways. And I say a simplicity in the sense of, you know, I often notice that a lot of men that men aspire to or they idolize don't have to be good looking in any way. They just have to have achieved something that they find valuable. And you're my idol, you know, where I notice with a lot of women, at least the women that I often speak to, I'm around or the conversations that I witness, if they're not attractive, they don't align themselves with them. Yep. They don't align themselves with women that aren't attractive. So it therefore is still with the lens of men. Right. Interesting. Right. You know, and so there are many things. The thing is, feminism, this third wave, or some would call it a fourth wave, this feminism has elements to it that are tricky um, for me, I would say. And I wouldn't say every aspect of mainstream feminism right now is something that I resonate with. Um, I do think there are elements where it could be um, a rebranding of patriarchy. Um, and I think 
we're only going to really start to know that is if we make our feminism more inward as opposed to outward and who's performing femininity right or feminism right and who's not doing feminism right and this is feminism this is not feminism how about just going here you know and really working out why you put that on really working out like if this is for you or this is something that's learned behavior you know these are really hard questions i think to ask ourselves and i won't even name the questions because in today's climate they bring up so much controversy um but yeah there are elements of feminism of mainstream feminism that i think are really great and there are elements that i think are really damaging what if a black girl knew herself first once you have an understanding of yourself it's so much easier to see other people and to connect with other people okay well aisha i wanted to ask you what what brings you joy when it comes to the knowledge of self i asked aisha about her own internal fears and enjoyment that she might encounter herself and she shares some of them with me so kindly like overwhelming joy and i want to know what brings you the most joy um joy for me is children i really love children i really think children are, are great and special um and the smile or frown of any child yeah. to be fair um really brings me a sense of joy um today i was on the train on the way here and i saw an older man with his head on a younger man it could have been his son nephew grandson I don't know, or maybe they were friends, but I just, I'm not used to seeing men be comfortable. They look, they appeared to be straight, let's say straight passing, should we say. So, but I'm not used to seeing that. And I think whenever I see people being delicate with each other without, um, without romantic intimacy attached to it, I find that to make me feel a lot of joy. Yeah, when people, yeah, when people are loving to each other without an agenda. That brings me a lot of joy, especially without a sexual agenda. That brings me a lot of joy. Um, connecting with people brings me a lot of joy, like being able to truly have conversations um, and connect uh, and, and resonate with each other and learn something about each other really brings me joy. Reading really brings me a lot of joy. Um, I often call that, you know, it's your, your cultural passport, um, you know, and a way of being able to, to live many lives in this one life is to read. Um, and so I'll always stress the importance of reading um, and also in learning just how to be still within yourself. Um, what else brings me joy? Um, joy is also in the fact that, you know, as crazy as this world is, like I'm alive, you're alive and we're here and we're talking about that. And this exists, we exist, we are real, but we don't know why. No one has an answer for that. Like, if I could focus on those thoughts for long enough and I will always cry um, because that's just so beautiful to me and that's just so profound. Um, and if we weren't as distracted as we are, I think we'd all consider the fact that they're one day gonna die, every single one of us, and we should just be hugging each other. And we should just never wanna let each other go. You know, we should be, terrified but also grateful at the fact that we all get to be here in this space right now yeah. because it's not forever um For and that to me um brings me a lot of joy what if a black girl knew back to black retelling black radicalism 
You have been listening to WIA BGK, the What If a Black Girl New podcast. I discussed with Aisha matters on race, sexuality, feminism, and other very interesting aspects of our life. In this conversation, I have gained so much insight, and I hope so have you. What if a black girl knew Aisha Akambi? What if a black girl knew that she would be desired by others only if she desired herself? That beauty is not a shade, but a mindset and the best indicator of it is self-confidence. As I talk some sense, insert here confidence.